Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Friday morning, the 16th of November, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Mead West TD, Peter Tobin, has highlighted the fraught relationship he has had with Sinn Féin. The twice-suspended TD left the party yesterday. In his letter of resignation, he highlights how a deal he had with Sinn Féin was broken by the party, how he was censored by Sinn Féin, and in trying to clarify his future role in the party he has been a member of for 21 years, Tobin says Sinn Féin completely ignored him. In saying that he poured all of his efforts into achieving Sinn Féin goals and how that it is now clear to him that this is no longer enough for the party, Tobin paints a picture of him being unwanted by Sinn Féin. Padre Tobin joins us now. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for taking the time to be with us. You've obviously divorced yourself from Sinn Féin at this stage. What does this mean for Sinn Féin in Mead West, can you tell us? Well, it, it, it was a difficult day yesterday, there's no doubt. And um, for me, this decision might have come earlier only for my comrades and uh, colleagues in Mead West. Um, there's some really good people in Mead, Sinn Féin, um, and it was a phenomenal uh, team with regard to elected representatives. Uh, and now that team is broken. And that's to my question that that is the case. Um, so I suppose Meech and Fein will have to regroup. Um, what I would say to the members in, in, in Sinn Féin all around the, the country is see the problems that are in the party, stand up, be empowered, and make sure the head, head office and management listen to you and make sure that you fix them. Because if they're not fixed, we're going to see roughly the same thing happen over and over again. And... When you say the party is divided in Meath, uh, can you explain what that means? Well, obviously, there's a, a lot of individuals uh, who would be torn uh, with regards to what's happened uh, over the last while. Because when you invest yourself into a movement such as Sinn Féin and the objectives uh, of Sinn Féin, which is obviously a United Ireland and, and a fair economy, and when you pour your energy into an organisation like that, especially when that organisation seems to be under attack from many different angles, you find that, that you'd probably gel at a far closer and deeper level than probably other political parties. I've always said that other political parties are kind of like um, franchises of ambition, 
But because of the unique nature of Sinn Féin in Irish politics, the ties and the relationships, I think, in that party are far tighter um, than other organisations. But when you see the level of cracks that are happening uh, around the country, um, I think that shows you that there are difficulties there. I believe that the difficulties can be sorted out. I spent at least the last 18 months trying to sort out those difficulties. I wrote papers uh, on reforms that were necessary in the party. Uh, I've gave, I have gave those papers to uh, Jerry and Mary Lou at different times. I spent an awful long time, you know, seeing could it, you know, could there changes be made and the party be reformed? I came to the view that I wasn't going to be able to do it, uh, and and then I had to make a decision. Then was I was I going to be a, a member of a party that wasn't giving me a fair break, wasn't giving me an opportunity to represent my constituents? So, like in the end of the day, like, nearly ten thousand people voted for me in twenty sixteen, and I have a moral responsibility to optimise their representation in Leinster House. And when you're being, you know, benched from media, when you're being taken off portfolios, when you're, when spokesperson, spokes positions are being taken off you, uh, etc., obviously you can't represent your constituents to the same degree. So I had to make a choice. And, you know, in, 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 in any democracy, the choice of representing the people has to come first each time uh, over uh, a political party. Right. Uh, and when you say you've been writing papers uh, about reform, reform in what way? I mean, there's been a, a lot of bad publicity around Sinn <coughs> Féin in terms of uh, bullying and how uh, party members have been treated. Is that the type of thing that you've been talking about? Well, uh, to be honest, I've said this before as well. And it would be easy for me to throw stones here at this stage. Um, and um, Well, there were a lot of stones thrown at some very innocent people in your party or in your former party, were there not? It was, like, to be, to be honest, what I'm saying to you, it would be easy for me to make political capital out of those difficulties. No, well, I'm not asking you to make political capital. I'm just asking you if they're the type of reforms that you were suggesting to the party. What I believe is that there needs to be an empowerment of the grassroots membership, an empowerment at all levels uh, uh, within the party, and more uh, democracy within the party. But I don't want to go beyond that because I'm not leaving the room and slamming the door hard behind me. I want to make sure that, you know, the party know what they have to do. It's, and, and, and I wish them luck in doing it, and I hope they do it. Uh, but in the meantime, unfortunately, people like myself, who have similar goals, uh, have obviously been unable to uh, participate in the objectives that we want to lay out. And there, there are other changes as well, and, and people in Sinn Féin would be, would be very uh, open, uh, would, would see these changes. There is a shift in recent times, things like, for example, uh, decision of some members to wear the poppy, things like, you know, Mary Lou has stated that in a Brexit situation, it, it mightn't be a good idea to have a border poll. And um, they've also, the party have also decided to go to London and ask London to uh, enact legislation. And never in the 200 years of republicanism has any Republican gone to London and asked them to carry out legislation uh, in Ireland. And, um, you know, I obviously I've always believed that the whole idea of republicanism is to make the laws governing the island of Ireland uh, created by the Irish people. Self-determination is at the heart of it. Mm. You, can, you can never be a Republican and ask another country to make laws for you. Um, but listen, that's the situation uh, at the moment. I've been okay. Uh, t- t- tell us about the situation or a little bit more about the situation locally. Well, there's uh, five councillors, Sinn Féin councillors, isn't there, in uh, Mead West? There is. There would be roughly five uh, yeah. councillors, yeah. In, in uh, uh, and uh, undoubtedly you've been speaking with them all. Uh, 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 is anybody uh, in support of you? Uh, Michael <clears throat> Gallagher, Johnny Gurk, uh, well, Sinead Burke, Edward Fennessy, Caroline Lynch. Anybody at this stage, it wouldn't be fair. 
there. Uh, I would say, to be honest, I would say the vast majority of them will stay put. And, um, you know, these type of decisions... Do you expect somebody to move? I don't know. Um, and it, it would be wrong for me to say. Um, what? Uh, if, if for, like, these, like, Michael, these are fierce, difficult decisions. And I understand you know, that. And for a person who's not involved in, in this type of politics, it, it's probably very hard oh. to understand what it's like to extricate yourself from what is a significant part of your identity, mm. what is a significant part of your friendships with people mm. and your working environments. Like I'm sitting in an office here today, probably for the last day, uh, that I've been working in uh, since 2004. Mm. And I'm you know, going to be when meeting people at half nine who have been working with, with, with that time, probably for the last time. And uh, it is a very difficult thing. And it's, it's something that I'm not asking any individual to do to have mm. to make those decisions. Well, just, just just explain to us where you are, because I, I think uh, the day you were suspended or the day after you were suspended, you arrived uh, to Leinster House uh, and uh, the Sinn Féin plaque was taken off the wall of your office there. That's right. So overnight, the, um, the Sinn Féin uh, team obviously removed the um, Sinn Féin brand, uh, our logo, from uh, my office in Leinster House. Um, obviously, the, the Sinn Féin office is in Flower Hill in Avon. I have. I will uh, get a new office. I'm hopeful, hopeful of getting a new office in Navin in Market Square. Um, but obviously, you know, I would have a lot of good memories and a lot of activities, and we would have helped thousands of people here uh, in this. There would have been plenty of robust meetings and hard discussions in in this office as well. Um, so it holds a lot of memories. There's no doubt. But listen, in the end of the day, my responsibility, my job, is to represent uh, the the people of Meath. And Mead West mm. in Leinster House. Yeah, I and guess, I have to do that. Yeah. And all you, the, all you, the, you know, my job is to ask you the questions that I, I think those people want answered. Uh, and indeed, I think your supporters want answered. Uh, and people uh, who've aligned themselves to you in the past. Uh, want answered because they want to know uh, if uh, you're going to uh, be someone that they'll be fighting against politically in the future Uh, and uh, indeed I suppose that's the next question because uh, I uh, take it you've changed your mind and you will run as an independent now that you've left Sinn Féin Well well actually um, over the last uh, couple of months a large number of people from a Sinn Féin background uh, from a former Sinn Féin background, a large number of former Sinn Féin councillors, there's dozens, well over a dozen of them throughout the state. And surprisingly enough, a large number of people from a Fianna Fáil background uh, have contacted me. And the Fianna Fáilers have stated that they're absolutely disgusted in the way that Micheál Martin is taking the party in a different direction from the membership. And they feel that there's a, a small cabal of ambitious Fianna Fáil TDs around the leader mm. who are actually giving the two fingers to a certain extent to the members. And uh, a lot of them would uh, see themselves as Republican and a lot of those a Republican lot of those Fianna Fáil people who are dismayed would also see themselves as pro-lifers. A lot of them would. Um, there would be a, a section there between uh, Sinn Féin and that uh, small mm. but existent uh, Republican Fianna Fáil wing who feel they don't have a voice whatsoever. So, you know, they have asked me, uh, a number of them, including elected reps, would it be possible if we can work out is it feasible to, to organise... Mm a political organisation uh, over the next four weeks before. So, so the people you're speaking to now are already suspended Sinn Féin councillors or representatives? It's uh, a cross-section of, of existing Sinn Féin members and elected representatives, uh, former Sinn Féin uh, members and elected representatives, and both existing and former Fianna followers as well. And mm-hmm. other people, there's, there's a couple of people from, okay. uh, who are in AAA down in Limerick who are in contact with me. Uh, there's people from Fianna Gael who were 
you know, chairs of of a court accounts in different parts of the country have contacted me. No, this is going. Like, uh, so, so is, when you talk about forming this political party, it won't necessarily be a pro-life party. No, like first of all, it will have a pro-life uh, policy, but it will have a freedom of conscience as well. Uh, I can't have argued for freedom of conscience for eight solid years in Sinn Féin uh, and then look to organise uh, people into a party and then deny them freedom of conscience. So, you know, absolutely. It, so and, and, and it, we, we it would neither be pro-life or pro-choice, uh, and that's why you're speaking to people It, it would uh, be a pro-life, it would, absolutely. There's a third of the population in the state that don't have a voice mm. in Leicester House. There is this unbelievable instinct in Irish politics. But you're, you're, you're talking to... In, to inhabit exactly the same space politically. But you're talking to pro-choicers. Uh, I mean, uh, that's a fair assumption when you say you're talking to people uh, of uh, the anti-austerity lines. Well, actually, believe it or not, the, the, the individuals from the AAA okay. in Limerick had a, a, were pro-life and campaigned on the pro-life side. See, this is the thing. We, we actually pitched... In, in Sinn Féin or the anti-austerity? No, in the AAA. Okay, in, in okay, 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 okay. So this is the thing. We, we, we do pigeonhole people very easily because yeah. of their, their political parties mm. in one way or another. But all political parties have a diversity of opinion on this particular issue. And you're speaking to Carol Nolan, I gather. Well, I have had a conversation with Karen Nolan and she's considering what she's going to do in the future as well. Um, so um, we're hopeful that we'll have a number of elected TDs mm. involved before Christmas. But what, what other TDs are you speaking to? There's not many, uh, when I look down the list of independents, at least, wherever about uh, within the political parties, uh, but there's not many uh, who you would uh, imagine would share your political ideals and also be pro-life. Well, I'm not going to name anybody because it, once you name an individual, the pressure comes on through the media to that person. Uh, have you made a decision or not? And this is the type of decision that needs to be made in a, in, a, in a calm fashion. What I'm looking to do is to see, can we offer a voice to the large section of Irish society that don't have a voice in Leinster House? People are fiercely frustrated. And the danger of that, and I've mm. said this to you before, if you deny a voice, if you deny diversity of opinion to people, they often get pushed to the margins. Mm. And when people get pushed to the margins, they vote for people on the margins. And that has been seen in Britain and the United States. Respectful opposition is not the enemy. In actual fact, it's a part of a, a healthy and functioning democracy. Okay. And that's uh, what uh, needs and to happen. And in terms of the Republican values of this party, sure. are, are you talking about a, a party that would be more Republican than Sinn Féin? And I took what you said earlier on to mean that in some ways Sinn Féin has become Republican light. Well, there would be a fear amongst many members, and there would be people listening to your show today that um, there has been movement to the centre by Sinn Féin on a number of different elements uh, with regards to and the European Union, uh, for example. In other words, that Sinn Féin were a solidly Euro-critical organisation, and that isn't exactly the same. There's a feeling that there is a, an effort to build bridges with, I suppose, middle, um, middle class, middle Ireland, um, by Sinn Féin uh, at the moment and with the media. And as a result, they are slowly stepping towards the centre on a number of different issues. And, and I have noticed that, and I know that mm. some of the Sinn Féin members listening to the show will recognise that as well. And, and that's in Republican politics uh, or socialist politics uh, that you're uh, talking about to some degree, but in terms of all Ireland, all Ireland Republican politics, uh, you were obviously concerned at uh, Leah Narita saying that she'd wear the poppy. Uh, were you concerned uh, by the party's uh, lack of criticism in relation to the appointment of Drew Harris? First of all, um, with, with regard to the poppy, and this is a very important part, I believe that we need to reach out the hand of friendship uh, to people from different 
um, cultural backgrounds to ourselves. I had a, gr- a great uncle that died in the First World War, and I believe that everybody has a right to commemorate all the people, that their loved ones that died mm. in any way they want, and we must respect, respect for that. But for some reason, again, in Ireland, we're told that to respect somebody else, we have to ape them. To show regard for an individual, we have to wear their symbols. You can equally have full regard for somebody who has a, a completely on a different side of, of the fence, show them respect and love without actually having to mm. wear their symbols. And to be honest, the poppy is a symbol of every British war since uh, World War mm. One, including uh, all of the... OK, but uh, your presidential candidate, uh, when you were a member of Sinn Féin, said she'd wear a poppy. Uh, that made you... What? What did that make you feel? Well, I, I thought yeah. it was the wrong decision, to be honest, yeah. uh, that, that, uh, that she made it. I know uh, Leo well, and uh, Leah is decent character and a very decent individual I thought it was a mis- uh, it, it, it wasn't likely to be a mistake mm. I think that there's no doubt that that was a, a decision by the party that if asked that question that she would answer in that way and um, and what about the Drew Harris uh, question because Sinn Féin really has fudged this they've gone to ground to a large degree on it to be honest, um, my instinct in this is, first of all, that the new Garda commissioner needs to be held to account. And obviously, um, you know, the, the, the Harris, I believe, uh, must listen to the survivors of uh, loyalist violence. Mm. Um, you know, I, I wish Drew Harris luck. There's a massive job that he has a- ahead of him. Mm. But there are a lot of unanswered questions um, in the North Barons. It's the Miami show band campaign, mm. for example. Yeah, the arrest um, of Jerry Adams. I, I mean, there's lots of questions for Drew Harris, and they would seem legitimate questions, but Sinn Féin were reluctant to ask them. Uh, they moved to a certain degree and then tried to park it. Yeah, I, I think, to be honest, the, the uh, you, you're right, but there is a lot of questions to be asked of everybody. And in fairness to Jerry, Jerry's got asked those questions a million and one times. So... All, all, we're ask, all I'm suggesting is that there's a little bit of equality of questions and that, you know, you know people who had maybe in, uh, rejected independent mm. investigations into organizations such as the Glenan Gang, you know, th- this is an organization that literally went into families mm. uh, on New Year's Day and shot up uh, whole families at random. And we're talking about the investigations into and we're talking about maybe, uh, obviously, Drew Harris has a role in rejecting mm. independent investigations. And, of course, people should, questions should be asked of individuals. Holding people to account is exactly what uh, individual TDs uh, should be doing. And, 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 and that is a difficulty. There, there, there's no doubt about it. Listen, there's, there's, mm. there's another element to this that I've noticed. You know, people have said to me as well that there needs to be a change of culture in Leicester we have a situation, in my view, whereby most ministers are actually captured by their civil servants and are happy to do that. And we have a situation where most TDs have become drones. Mm. And, those, and literally, they're worrying more about actually minding their seat than actually uh, representing the, the people that have voted them in. They're worried more about getting brownie points from the leader to like, uh, make sure that their ambition is fulfilled than representing their people. What we need is... People, Republicans, 32 county Republicans in uh, Leinster House who will actually stand up and be confident in representing people, especially confident against the tide when that's necessary. Okay, uh, do you expect uh, Sinn Féin to field a candidate in Meath West in the, the next general election? I've noticed uh, that 
that they will, and I've no doubt that uh, we will see many Sinn Féin leaders uh, visit Mead West over okay. the next while. Uh, I'd be surprised if some of them don't pick up an accident along the way. All right, well, look, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, I'm sure uh, we'll uh, take up on this conversation in the coming weeks and months for that matter. But thank you indeed for joining us uh, this morning. Independent TD for Mead West, Peter Tobin. Michael Reed on LMFM. Brexit Bedlam wipes 3.3 billion euro off Irish shares. Uh, that's the headline of the Irish Independent today. Irish stocks, uh, they say, were punished more than any others in Western Europe. Sterling fell to its lowest point in 17 months. Uh, the Isaac closed almost 4% weaker with stocks exposed to the British economy amongst the biggest falls. We're joined uh, by Independent MEP Marion Hark. And now, obviously, Brexit uh, is uh, no more than a a draft uh, and one that doesn't look like being realised, or at least uh, this uh, agreement that was reached between uh, the negotiators. What now, do you think? Hello, Marion. I'm afraid we've a a problem with the line, it would seem. Uh, We'll uh, try to come to Marion Harkin now, uh, and uh, I think uh, we'll be talking about a change in leadership, or at least a leadership heave in the UK, possibly a change in leadership, possibly a British uh, general election, and indeed possibly a second referendum. Let's see, because I I think uh, we've managed to get Marion Harkin back on the line. Good morning to you, and apologies, I'm not sure what happened there. uh, But uh, what do you think now uh, that the dust has settled on uh, this chaotic situation will be next? Well, for a start, Michael, my apologies. I hit the wrong button. Oh, not at all. It's not not your fault. (laughs) It's mine. But anyway, the dust settling, I don't know. I was listening to the radio this morning and Michael Gove has gone into work. They say that they now have enough numbers to move with a motion of no confidence and Theresa May. That's the 48 letters uh, to the 1922 committee, the first of them announced by Jacob Rees-Mogg yesterday. That's correct. Mm. Uh, Theresa May is determined to continue. Uh, It is quite likely at this stage there will be a no confidence motion. But of course, the really difficult question is, Uh, How many votes can they muster? I mean, Mm. she can win this by one vote, but the, you know, I think she needs about 150. I don't know the exact number, Michael. It's a few more, I think. But the the problem she faces is if that 70, 80, 90, if it's anywhere near 100 of her own MPs express no confidence in her, really, she doesn't have a future. I wouldn't like to bet on that, but that's only just instinct. I I think you could question if the Tories have a future. This is it. I mean, they're absolutely riven Hmm. um, on both sides. So, look, I think what we have to look at, Michael, is the possibility that after all of this, I don't know, maybe this deal may hold. I think the real issue will be when it goes to the House of Commons. Mm. And I think many of the parties, including Labour, have to uh, look very carefully at what's here. And I mean, I I haven't read the 500 and something odd pages, mm. but what I have read is, you know, Article uh, 20 one. page mm. assessments mm. of them and the protocol on Northern Ireland. And I would say Northern Ireland will never see a deal like this again, Mm. ever. I mean, I... This is the Irish government's argument that it is being offered its cake and the chance to eat it too. 
Absolutely. Because goods that originate in Northern Ireland will have free access to the UK market and free non-tariff access to the EU market. Okay, And, and that you, includes the Republic. And you may be right in that argument, but it doesn't matter to the DUP, it seems, because it's a matter of principle. You're treating Northern Ireland differently to the rest of the United Kingdom. It wants to remain in the Union and not to divide the Union. Uh, there's uh, the hardline Brexiteers in uh, the Tories uh, who would be very much opposed to this and the Labour Party opposed to it. So you'd have to assume uh, even if uh, Mrs May does uh, survive uh, a vote of no confidence uh, that it won't pass uh, the Commons vote. It may not. But just staying with Northern Ireland mm. just for the moment because I suppose that's what's crucial to us. And that's what the Irish government, that was their red line. Um, and they achieved everything they set out to. Uh, I believe the, the chair or the president of the Ulster Farmers Union has come out this morning and said that Northern Irish farmers must have access, tariff-free access to the EU market. This deal gives it to them. As I said, they will never get a deal like this. Indeed, Michael, in five years' time, you might have farmers in County Louth looking enviously at some of their colleagues across the border Mm. and the kind of access that those farmers have that farmers in County Louth of course will have access to the EU market, but we're not sure yet what the terms of access will be to the UK. We hope it will be full access, but we don't know. If this deal goes through, Northern Ireland farmers are guaranteed it from day one. But But if it doesn't go through, uh, well then there's two options. One of them is no deal. Uh, And the other option might be the best of all, as far as we're concerned, and that that would be a second referendum and uh, the British would change their minds and stay in Europe. Yes, I spoke to some people yesterday um, from the, the Tory party, um, just in conversation, nothing official, as it were. Mm. And there is a sense that if there were to be a second referendum, that Remain would win, not by a landslide, but that they would be more likely to win. And uh, the, the real difficulty would be if they won by two or three percent, similar to what Leeds mm. won by. Uh, so there are huge uncertainties here. Um, The more I see of this deal uh, from our perspective, the more I think it should be supported. And, you know, Mm. I think most people also admire Theresa May. She, I mean, I was listening to her yesterday in her press conference and she made one thing very clear. She said, there can be no deal with the EU without the backstop. Remember we spoke about that Mm -hmm. before, the Mm -hmm. bulletproof? I mean, she said that clear and loud yesterday. And that's why this deal is there, because of the backstop. And when we look back, you know, on this in 10, 15, 20 years' time, when historians look back on this, they will see that the deal or no deal scenario, whatever happens uh, regarding the UK and the EU will have been predicated to a large extent by Northern Ireland and the, the historical implications there. I mean, who who would ever have thought that that's how things would turn out 
from a historical perspective, but that's how it is. But yeah. look, well, I don't uh, know. From a historical perspective, I, I think in many years from now, I'd be hoping uh, that Leaving Cert students aren't asked to explain it because I think it would be terribly unfair on anybody <laughs> asked to do that. So I have to leave it there for the moment, though, Marion. Uh, thank you indeed for joining thank us you. this morning. Independent MEP Marion Harkin. Michael Reed on LMFM. Let's talk about uh, the children's uh, detention campus at Oberstown. Uh, There's been a a lot of uh, problems over the years and uh, the more recent problem of a fire in 2016 prompted the government to commission an independent review of what was happening in Oberstown. Two eminent professors from the United Kingdom, uh, Barry Golden from the University of London and Nicholas Hardwick from the University of of London, uh, sorry, the former from Liverpool were brought in uh, to take a, a look at what was going on. Uh, they uh, completed that report, uh, but uh, it hasn't been published. Why? Well, that's a question that uh, Independent for Change TD, Claire Daly, has been asking in the doll, and she joins us now. Uh, I'm not sure you got the answer uh, uh, as to uh, why it hasn't been published yet, uh, but uh, you have a, a clear impression, I, I think, yourself uh, behind uh, the logic uh, uh, in terms of the logic behind this? Well, I, I certainly didn't get any answers. And I, I think um, there was the story, I suppose, was back in the news again over the weekend with the um, access to under freedom of information to a lot of the email correspondence behind the scenes, which effectively ruled or indicated that um, in the period when the uh, government were attempting to publish this report, that the board of management and some staff in Oberstown threatened legal action and um, indeed um, resignations should the report be published, which is kind of absolutely incredible because what in essence has been shown up now, and we've had a lot of questions since 2016 as to why the report hadn't been published. The minister had said earlier she intended to publish it, uh, she wanted to publish it. Firstly, she said she was not sure, though, that the fair procedures had been applied, that the board hadn't convinced her of that, which was a little bit dodgy at the time. And then with the further passage of time, she said, actually, look, we don't need to publish it now because things have improved. Over the weekend, then, it was revealed that actually at that time when she sought legal advice about publication, in essence, the board and some of the staff threatened that they would jump ship. So what we had here was the very people, I suppose, responsible for the running of this organisation effectively blocked the publication of a review into the problems in that organisation, which is quite incredible. And they actually spent €19,000, which was twice the cost of the report, in getting legal advice to block the publication of that report. It's, it's mm-hmm. really shocking. Right, now explain to us why it matters, uh, because, uh, as you say, it's been suggested to you that it doesn't matter, the recommendations are, are being implemented by all uh, accounts, uh, but people will remember that fire that uh, I spoke about. Uh, there was strike action at the centre as well yeah. because uh, <laughs> the staff were under attack and felt it, it wasn't safe and that they weren't being protected themselves. They also felt there was a, a risk being posed to young people who were quite often isolated uh, and inappropriately isolated <laughs> Uh, there was a riot at one stage. People will remember that there were mm. fellas uh, negotiated down from the roof and that type of uh, thing. Uh, there was a HICWA report into the centre and that highlighted a, a lot of flaws that it saw as well. Uh, but because of some of the unruly behaviour, there's young people who've been given prison sentences. Exactly. I mean, as you say, the backdrop to all this operational review was 
very, very considerable and deep-rooted problems in the organisation, as you say, threatened strike action. There was all the damage being done, serious questions being raised about behavioural management in the institution, health and safety and so on uh, at it. Now, subsequent to the non-publication of the report, uh, there were further instances. I mean, last year, armed Gardaí had to be called to the facility and it has been brought to court a number of times for, I suppose, abuses on some of the young people in terms of, at the moment, there's a High Court case uh, underway about inappropriate restraints being used and solitary confinement being used. So, deep-rooted problems here. Now, while the recommendations were um, produced, the authors of the report were very clear that without the context of their report, you wouldn't really get a full understanding about what was going on. And in that sense, you wouldn't really be able to learn the lessons. And I suppose one of the examples in that is that the young people who were involved in the damage, a whole and a whole number of them got extended prison sentences, up to five years um, for their role in the, the disturbances. Now, these are some of the state's most problematic, most troubled, most traumatised young people. Uh, studies have been done on their background. 42% of them were at risk of abuse or neglect, the overwhelming majority from their own families. 80% weren't in school, you know, 70% had drug problems. A lot of them had been in care before. So, if you like, they've been let down by the state on numerous occasions. And, and it's not a prison. Uh, uh, it's a detention centre. All minors uh, not incarcerated, but detained for unruly behaviour of some sort in Oberstown. They're supposed to be working with them and helping them. And if you read some of the, the I suppose evidence produced in the court with some of the young people who, who got those extended um, sentences. Tragic case, I remember mm. one of one young man, both his parents were drug addicts, he had some contact with his grandmother, he'd been in and out of care a lot, but actually he was doing quite well. Yeah. He had indicated that he wanted to do his leave and he was studying, there's a school in Overtown, you know, we're supposed to be, you know, helping these young people deal with their problems and educate them so that they can be constructive members of society. They've been badly let down by the state as it is. So those young people ended up in getting seriously heavy prison sentences for Mm -hmm. their role. But the point is, and in fairness to Professor Mm -hmm. who did the report, made this point, that had the judge been privy to the full information of the background to what went on, in other words, you know, there might have been circumstances that sort of led to the behaviour that was sort of outside the, the control of these kids, that she, she may not have given them the sentence they got. But, I mean, a five-year prison sentence for a young person of, you know, 17 mm. or 18 is means really... Well, that goes back that to the thrust of your question about this report and why it hasn't been published. And what do we know? We know that there were these minors uh, who were detained for unruly behaviour of some sort. Uh, Oberstown was meant to work with them. It wasn't a, mm. a prison, as we say. We know that in there that there were disturbances. Uh, there was a riot. Somebody set the place on fire. There was all these kinds of problems. Staff were attacked and all of that kind of thing. Uh, and we do know that uh, some of the young people were obviously uh, guilty, if you like, as charged to some degree Mm. Uh, and we know that some of these young people have been sent to prison uh, in some circumstances up to five years as you say but your question is is that the end of the story or where there are more I think the correspondence the FOI correspondence and it's interesting that the documents released under Freedom of Information to RTEs this week there's over 300 pages of correspondence emails all the rest of us which shows behind the scenes a huge flurry of activity to stop the publication. Now, bear in mind that the contract which the professor undertook 
in carrying out their work. In the contract, it was specified that this was a report for publication. The authors in the report um, checked and rechecked their information. They offered to say that if there are any legal considerations or if anybody is, you know, feels threatened by this, let us know and we can redact, you know, if there's a legal reason why we can't publish names or, you know, identify people, we will offer to redact uh, that information. Because they, staff they just, staff mm. members are named individually in this mm. report mm. Mm. Uh, and... The centre itself is criticised uh, and uh, the practices at the centre are exactly. criticised as part of what exactly. led to these problems. And uh, that's exactly it. It's huge problems in the management and, uh, of the centre and uh, issues there. And uh, that's quite clear that they have been. But interestingly enough, I think one of the staff, I was I, not by named, but in HICWA reports, was easily identifiable. So that's normally not a problem. But those very people whose behaviour was questioned in this report threatened legal action. And then the board of Oberstown sort of said, well, we're all going to be resigning now. But what's more scary is that the minister and the Department of Children backed off in the face of those Mm. threats. As far as I'm concerned, they should have been told, well, if you don't like it, that was the deal. Uh, and the information needs to be put out there. We'll go yeah, with that. See, this is where though, people are, and I have to finish up very quickly, but people are, must be very confused listening. The government commissioned a report. The report says there's uh, bad practice and wrongdoing at this centre, uh, but it's not being published, let alone anything happening about it as, as such. Yeah, and I don't I don't know, are, are those staff still there? I don't know what the issues were. Is it something that could be worked at? Very, very... Uh, inappropriate really the entire thing and the toothlessness of the Department of Children in backing out in the face of this because it's obvious the Minister indicated in January that she was going to publish the report she'd seek the advice of the Attorney General and what's clear now is that the Attorney General had no problem with the report being published. No block put up at all. Mm. Somebody somewhere stopped this report being uh, published and as you say the young people who you know are damaged young people anyway have paid a huge price way above and beyond maybe what they would have paid and the staff and the management in the facility who potentially have questions to answer for uh, we've nothing there but more importantly all the organisations that interface with Oberstown who could learn the lessons from what went on because to this day there are problems in the subsequent HICO reports about the management of abuse allegations and, and notifications mm-hmm. to go to Tulsa so a lot of unfinished business if you like it just seems utterly okay. chaotic we have to uh, and there there's a bigger the story there I think okay. you know alright I have to leave there as I say thank you indeed Claire Daly for joining us here on the, the programme this morning Claire Daly Independence uh, for Change TD for Dublin North Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Cairns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael. And before I get to the comments, can I just mention uh, that there is disruption to water supply water supply even, Michael, and parts of Meath due to a repair to a burst water main. And the following areas will be affected until 5pm today. Kenstown, Balrath, Flemingstown, Mullafin, Nakarli, Ratrina, Ballymagarvey, Burtonstown, the Bowleys, Danestown and surrounding areas. Okay, is it off now or is it on and off? Or, uh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're just saying there may be disruption right. to water supply. Fill the kettle. Until 5pm yeah, today, okay, so yeah, yeah. Fill the kettle. be warned. Yeah, maybe fill it a couple of bottles if you have a supply. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Getting then to the comments. Mm. Jimmy was in touch in relation to your interview with Padda Tobin and says he feels that Padda Tobin is unique in Irish politics insofar as he has put his conscience before his career 
in politics. He feels he has been penalised for his religious beliefs and that he's an unbelievably courageous man. Mm. He doesn't want to leave his party, but he has been given little choice. Yeah, well, he had an awful lot to say about Sinn Féin this morning. Some very interesting statements uh, from Padre Tobina, I think, uh, today. And I think we'll be hearing more about those statements and others will be asked about some of them later. Yes, uh, and lots of reaction Mm. to to the interview. Maria from Slane got in touch to say, well done to Padre, a politician who keeps his word and stands by his conscience he will get my vote in the next election Okay um, Eileen was in touch and says it's all very well for Padre Tobin to say that he's leaving because he's not allowed to have his own view in the party but our political parties not about representing the majority of the people in those parties and clearly Sinn Féin voted to take a particular stance in mm. relation to the abortion legislation he is a Democrat is he not he should be abiding by that Yeah well he is a, a Democrat and that was one of the reasons uh, that he left the party. I think that was very clear speaking to Padre this morning, but I think it was equally clear that there were many other reasons he left what he believes is becoming a Republican light party. Declan Padre Tobin will be a huge loss to the Sinn Féin party, appalling the way they have treated someone who has given such loyal service to the party. Uh, Ray texts in from Delete Padder threw his toys out of the pram and nobody is picking them up. Okay, well, he uh, did make some interesting statements. I, I, I don't think that last comment actually is fair, uh, uh, unless Padder Tobin is contradicted by Sinn Féin when he says that he wrote to them two weeks ago mm. and he wrote to the leadership. It was a, a, a letter that was uh, addressed to three different people, including Mary Lou MacDonald, uh, and had no response at all. I know. It's completely ignored. So I don't think that's throwing your... No, I, I think then you'd have to kind of say, well, the writing's on the wall for me when nobody mm. gets back to me. Yeah. Mm. So clearly that's maybe how he felt. Well, it is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he says that. He says yes. that s- spoke volumes yes. to him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deirdre from Kells want to wish Padre the best of luck. He has stuck by his principles. There's a lot of people that admire him for, for that. He is doing great work for Navin Hospital and I wish him well. Lisa from Navin, good luck, Padder, for standing up for what you believe. You will always have. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. My vote. Mary says nothing would surprise her about Sinn Féin. They are as nice as pie to your face, but it would take the legs out from under you behind your back. He's a huge loss to the party, so is Paddy Tobin, and I feel that they will regret their treatment of him. Well, Sinn Féin's uh, Brexit spokesperson David Conan will be with us in a, a few minutes' time to talk about that other mess, uh, but we'll ask him uh, about Patter's uh, departure as well. James phoned in and the comment he wanted to make was, uh, he says he doesn't agree with Pather Tobin's stance on abortion, mm. but he does admire him for sticking by his principles. And he says to think that the party removed that Sinn Féin plaque from his office. What kind of behaviour, Michael, is that towards someone who has worked so hard for the party just despicable in my book, says James. Well, I mean, what else would they do? He, he was suspended from the party. He lost his membership. Yes, mm. still. It was yeah. a little bit. Mm. I mean, it was the next day, wasn't it? Oh, but he went in uh, yes. the day after he was suspended to Lancer House and the plaque was gone. Yeah, I mm. find that. A bit, I was a bit astounded by that myself, I have to say. Uh, another listener. Sinn Féin will have their work cut out for them to win a seat in Meath West. I think it's a huge blow to the party in Meath who have always been very united and still reeling from the death of Joe Riley. Mm. So that, I suppose, puts the human face of it on it all too, doesn't yeah, it? It does indeed. Mm. Uh, just listening to Pater Tobin, says Kevin, mm. he may finally have woken up and left Sinn Féin. It's a pity he didn't do it before the referendum because he would have been able to, to I suppose, speak more. Kevin feels that uh, Kevin or that Pater would have been one of the best spokespeople for the referendum on the no side mm. and wasn't given the same opportunity that he may have been able uh, to have I don't know, I think left. maybe he got more of an opportunity because he was a member of Sinn Féin <laughs> and the irony of it and the contradiction yes, in how he yes. was speaking well, against the party's policy and ended up on that big prime time debate that's against right. the minister. Yeah. Absolutely mm-hmm. and I'm sure he ruffled a few feathers doing that even. Yeah, I'm not sure he'd have been there as an independent. No, so. um, probably mm. not um, but Kevin just mm. wanted to add, I'm listening to your interview about uh, Padder starting up a new party, mm. why wouldn't he talk to Ronan Mullen and p- other people like that who have already started new parties? Mm. And he says in relation to United Ireland that Kevin feels that even without Sinn Féin or without any new party that Padder might mm. form, he doesn't think that a United Ireland is too far away and that it will see, it will happen mm. without Sinn Féin or without any new yeah. party. He says, okay. I'd love mm-hmm. to see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe he will talk to Ronan Mullen. He said he wasn't going to answer questions about any individual because it puts pressure on the individual once he starts talking about it but so I didn't ask him about any individuals but I don't imagine that he would speak to Ronan Mullen not because of his pro-life views but because of his other political That's views right. I'd be more inclined to, I would think to speak to somebody like Michael Fitzmaurice an independent TD who is also pro-life Fran says that Peter Casey came second for the president's job and the reason for that was that he spoke out and said what many people were saying. Um, He says that he feels a lot of the politicians only think about their seats and their jobs and he wishes Padot to be well and hopes that he will do as what he says he's going to do. Okay. Uh, moving from Padder, if we can, then mm. to Brexit. Yeah. Uh, John says that he was watching Sammy Wilson 
the DUP MLA on primetime last night and his attitude towards the Irish government he felt was just awful. He didn't seem to have any regard for anyone else's opinion. He says the majority, John says that the majority of the people in the north don't want to leave the EU, but Sammy doesn't seem to care. Mm. Uh, not a fan of Theresa May, says Peter. Um, but my God, she's doing. She's some operator. You have to admire her determination to try and get this draft agreement over the line. A lesser woman would have given in already. Okay. Shame is from Dundalk. We've time for one or two mm-hmm. more. I can't yeah, see mm-hmm. Theresa May surviving this. There's too many against her. Let's hope they don't just put a new leader in, Michael, and then leave the EU without making any deal because where will that leave Ireland then? Seamus says he's mm. been contacting the programme over the last couple of months and his fear was always that there would be a no deal Brexit and he still fears that. Yeah well I, I think the theory is is that because Jacob Rees-Mogg has written this letter and has announced it publicly that there's probably the 48 letters which will lead to a contest. That's the theory. But I think the big question is who'd want to lead the Conservative Party at the moment? Uh, Who would want to be in Theresa May's position, uh, whether to try and get this deal over the line or to put it in the bin? Uh, It's a most unenviable position. Yes. Uh, Alas, I fear that all of this talking and negotiation has been for nothing, Michael. I think Theresa May is going to be ousted and it will be back to the drawing board, says another listener. Mm that she'll be gone. Yeah, well, you see, I actually think what's going to happen is she will be gone uh, and then that'll lead to a general election and the general election will be a referendum or there'll be a referendum and a general election or whatever. But I don't believe that there's going to be a Brexit, actually. Well, what we could, yes. At this stage, Mm. you think there'll be a referendum and they'll probably vote a different way. I yes. would imagine that's going to be the case, yeah. It's just unthinkable. I know. Maliki mm. from Tundalk was listening in yesterday and he just says, just in relation to the draft agreement and he says, you have the likes of the Brexit Minister Dominic Rabb um, mm. stepping down mm. and he said, this is the guy, Michael, that didn't understand uh, the importance of Dover to British trade. This is the type of people that we're, we are dealing with mm. and he thinks a referendum is the only way. Yeah, well, uh, you know the saying, they might be thick, but they're not stupid. Finally, if I can go to Brian from Drogheda, who was listening into your interview in relation to the excessive water charges. And Brian says, how dare they make us pay for water? They are going to make us pay. And I have to have the money to top up my top of the range mobile phone and also my Sky TV. Things a disgrace that I'd have to give up paying those things just to have water. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> so there you go. Thanks, he's a Brian. Bit of a, he's a bit of a smart fellow, isn't he? <laughs> I think he is, but he took up the phone and rang us. Oh, he's a, I don't think he's being completely sincere. I think there's a, a tongue in at least one of his cheeks. I think so, Michael. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, everybody who has been in touch with us. And thanks, Marie, for that matter. If you'd like to add to what's been said, Marie and Maggie are taking calls now and you can ring them and speak them and tell them what's on your mind on 1850 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now we will talk about Peter Tobin's resignation in a moment with uh, David Cullinan who's on uh, the line uh, but he's here to talk to us about Brexit as his party's uh, spokesperson on foreign affairs and trade with special responsibility for Brexit. Good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us here on the programme in what is really a, a state of limbo. Where do you think we're going from here? 
Nobody knows, Michael, if we're to, if we're to be honest. Uh, we're all watching very closely what's happening in the Tory party at the moment. Uh, we've had a number of people obviously leave Cabinet. Uh, and we're looking at this obviously through the lens of how this will impact on Ireland. And from the very outset, it was very clear that the vast majority of politicians and the vast majority of people in Ireland saw Brexit as not good for Ireland. There is no good Brexit. And what we were seeking was a set of protections, a unique set of protections for Ireland to ensure that we protect our Good Friday agreement and avoid any hardening of the border. And those protections, I think, in the main uh, have been agreed. Uh, they are in the draft agreements, and I think all eyes now are on the Tory party in Britain. Yeah, but uh, are we looking at uh, a change in leadership in uh the United Kingdom, uh, and if so, will that lead to, to an election? If so, will that lead to another referendum, or will it lead uh, to them crashing out? Well, I think there are all sorts of uh, possibilities, but I'd also say that I don't think that a lot of people thought that Theresa May would get as far as she has, and she has got this far. People were speculating that she would not, not get the deal through Cabinet, and she has. So obviously we have to remain hopeful that this will get through Westminster and that the Tory party and the Labour party will get this through. We can't control that, obviously, but our hope and expectation is that it will happen. But obviously it's very fraught, it's very tense. And Your uh, expectation is that it will happen? No, I think that the the hope is that it will happen. Yeah, but Uh, not the expectation. Yeah, Yeah. But we just don't know. Obviously we have to wait and see what happens. But I think what we have to make clear to politicians in Britain and I think the European Union has made it crystal clear is that the solutions and the protections that have been built into this withdrawal agreement for Ireland are constant and are fundamental. And whatever happens over the course of the next number of days and weeks, and we have no control over a lot of what happens in Britain, uh, will will not change or alter the fundamental uh, solutions and protections that we need mm. for Ireland. So the, protecting the, the, the Good Friday Agreement and avoiding yeah. the hard border will have to be built into whatever future agreement emerges. Okay, the DUP may be wrong in terms of how they view Brexit, uh, and uh, I'm sure you'd be happy to spend the rest of the day arguing that point, uh, but I'm sure you'd agree that they're right to be angry with Mrs May because she really has betrayed them, hasn't she? I don't believe that at all, and I actually think that a lot of uh, moderate unionists will see the deal that is on the table as a deal that's not ideal because... But it is effectively a, a backstop to a backstop, isn't it? Well, well, no, what it actually does is makes sure that we don't have a hardening of the border on the island of Ireland. What yeah, it by, does but, is by providing it, for a, a backstop to the backstop. No, no but, but bear with me, there is one backstop, and what it does is... It gives Ireland an insurance policy in the event in the event that there won't be a trade agreement. All of this is predicated upon there being no trade agreement mm. between Britain and the European Union. That is still open to negotiation. Mm. That's going to happen over the next uh, number of months and years. And there is an implementation period where Britain will stay in the customs union and single market until 2020. But here's what has been agreed for the north of Ireland, that there would be unrestricted trade for goods that are produced in the north to the south to the rest of Britain and to the rest of the European Union. Now, I can tell you that the vast, vast majority of unionist business people will see that as an achievement and a protection, and they want the same protection. So this isn't about orange versus green. I think there are some in the DUP and some unionists who want to use this to repartition Ireland Mm. and to deepen division. It's different to the rest of the UK, isn't it? There there are differences, yes. Yes, uh, and that is what Mrs May 
vowed would not happen. She said no Prime Minister would do that because that's dividing the Union. Well, she also said, and, and I think this has to be accepted as well, Michael, that the North is different to England, Scotland and Wales in this regard. We have, first of all, uh, the, the border between North and South. Uh, we also have an international agreement, the Good Friday Agreement. So from the very outset, the British Prime Minister, the European Union, the Irish government and the vast majority of politicians in Ireland all recognised that the North of Ireland is different mm. to England, Scotland and Wales because of the uh, border. And what we're trying to avoid is having an EU border, an economic or customs border, uh, appear, a land border appear on the island of Ireland, which will restrict the movement of goods or services. What we have got in this arrangement is that the common travel area will be protected and uh, that we have a deeper set of protections for the north in terms of the single market mm, well, because of the border. And that's, mm, that's necessary. That's what we might uh, have got had it been accepted, but it... it seems inevitable that it's going to be rejected. Uh, is there any point in uh, the EU Council Summit on the 25th? Absolutely, because I think we have to follow this through. I think that at some point in time, the system in Britain is going to have to ask itself a very fundamental question. Does it want a hard crash out of the European Union with all of the consequences that that will bring? Mm. And uh, the World Trade Organization rules will kick in. That's not going to be good for businesses in Britain. It's not going to be good for people in Britain and it's certainly not going to be good for the people of Ireland. So what I'm saying is we have a draft agreement on the table at the moment. For Ireland, it's imperfect because no Brexit is good. And whatever agreement was going to emerge was never going to be ideal. But as far as we saw it in terms of the the bottom lines and the protections in terms of the Good Friday Agreement and not uh, hardening the border, I think progress has been made. Those fundamentals are not going to change. And the fundamentals in terms of the bottom lines for the European Union are not going to change. So I think politicians in Britain need to work out, well, what is this better deal that these hard Brexiteers seem to think that is out there? And all of this has to play itself out. So we have to make sure that the process is followed through. The European Commission has a job to do. And then it's over to the Tory party in in Westminster. All right. Uh, can we talk to you about uh, Padre Tobin? Uh, he's uh, feeling fairly bruised, it would seem, uh, from the way he's been treated. Uh, it seems as though he's uh, suffered some pretty shoddy treatment from Sinn Féin. I don't accept that at all, Michael. And first of all, um, I'm a friend of Padre's and, and have been a friend of Padre's for a long number of years, long before we were elected to the Dáil. Um, Padre was a friend and a party colleague and a comrade. And I'm saddened that Patter has uh, left the party. Listen, we all know that Patter is a person of huge uh, integrity. Mm. Uh, Patter is a person who is a valued member of Sinn Féin and is a first-class TD and a representative for the people of his constituency. Yeah. And I would always say that. And I'm saddened that Patter has left the party. At the same time, uh, the party obviously has to protect itself and has to make sure that the rules which are set by the membership of the party are also protected. Yeah, but he, he says he had a deal with Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin broke the deal. No. and, and After four years, you broke the deal. No, we didn't. And and the arrangement that was in place for Padder was that Padder would be able to articulate his own private position on the issue of abortion. Padder was free to articulate that position. If you remember, if you go back to the referendum campaign itself, Padder was very high profile in that campaign. And he was advocating a position which was the complete opposite of a position that was adopted by a majority of members of the Sinn Féin Ardesh 
Pater did so. He took part in a number of high-profile debates on mm. RTE and elsewhere. So he was free to to campaign. But the bottom line is this. Once the people decided that uh, they wanted laws yeah. to be enacted... Once the people decided the that they wanted that, Sinn Féin then changed its position and then broke the deal. Uh, and up to that point... Patrick Tobin's argument is that you punished him by not giving him positions within the party. He wasn't given a, a portfolio. He wasn't uh, allowed speaking rights and so well, on. And on top of that, he was censured. But you can say things which are, are simply not true. There was no breaking of any deal and Patter wasn't censored. And if you can point to me how Patter was censored when you go back to that campaign, and you have to be fair, Michael, during the course of that campaign, Patter Tobin was one of the most high-profile high TDs on the no side and was free to articulate his position. So the mm. bottom line for Sinn Féin TDs, and it was made very clear to all TDs by the membership of the party, we debated motions on this at the Sinn Féin Ardesh, that the membership of the party wants our TDs to reflect the party position. We're not standing as independents. But more importantly, and this is a more fundamental... Do you know point, what the party position is when you ignore the members? But we didn't ignore the members. Well, you did, yeah. But Patrick O'Bean was ignored for two weeks. No, Patrick was never ignored, and you're missing the point entirely. No, I think you're you're maybe, choosing maybe, you're choosing maybe. not to address no, the I'm, point. I'm he, he, he wrote a, a letter to the uh, chairperson of the party. Uh, the chief whip was copied, and so was the party leader. No response. I think you're. I think you're. On, I think you're intentionally conflating issues. First of all. The party membership decides what the Sinn Féin policy is at our decision. No, my question and was, he was why was he ignored for two weeks? Uh, and I don't think, uh, by highlighting how he wrote to three senior figures in the party and he had no response, that that's conflating the issue. That's, I don't know about the responses. There was no response. That's what I'm putting, that's what I'm saying to you. But what I do know, Michael, is that there has been a number of discussions with Patter mm. and senior members of Sinn Féin yeah. over the last number of months. And Patter was made... Uh, Hello. aware of the position of the party mm. and Patter was suspended from the party so once you're suspended from the party you are then suspended uh, you don't then you can't be involved in party business and, and that was made very clear to Patter but no, the, the, to that fun, well, one second I want to come back to the fundamental point here which, which you seem to miss uh, the primary responsibility of a TD and in mm. my view the primary, the primary responsibility especially for a Sinn Féin TD is that you vindicate the will of the people and when you have a referendum and a majority people vote to change the law and 64% of the people in Paris constituency okay. voted for a change in the law, they have a responsibility to set aside their own personal views and mm. to legislate. And, and that's, that's no doubt why Sinn Féin changed its opinion on precisely that issue. Uh, so he was ignored for two weeks, but he also was ignored over a period of 18 months when he says he was writing reform policies and communicating with Gerry Adams and uh, then Mary Lou MacDonald after him and addressing some of the significant internal issues that there are in your party in relation to bullying and so on. Well, I don't believe that Pato was ignored, and I'm saying all, all of this in the context... Well, then he was I lying to us. Then, then he was lying to us, was he? I'm not saying that. Much well, well the, he, said he, he said he was ignored. Pato is setting out uh, concerns that he has. What I'm saying is that... That's not yeah, his, his, his concern is he was ignored. Well, you might ask, you, you might allow me even just uh, allow me to answer the questions that you put. Pato is perfectly entitled to set out in writing and in person his concerns in relation to how he feels he may have been treated by the party. As somebody who has watched this unfold over the last number of uh, years, and somebody who was very close to Patter and had many conversations with Patter, Patter had uh, uh, a lot of meetings with the party membership of the 
party leadership over the course of the last number of uh, years. Everybody knows that Padder had his own view on the issue of uh, abortion. And uh, Padder's own view in terms of being able to not just articulate that, but mm. vote against party policy was brought to the Sinn Féin Ardèche on three separate occasions. And the membership of the party decided democratically that all Sinn Féin TDs would have to vote in line with party policy. I don't believe that Padder was ignored by the party. I had several conversations with Padder over the last number of weeks. And not once did Padder articulate to me that he mm. was ignored. Okay. Yes, he says he has concerns in relation to has, whether or not people are, are entitled to express different opinions within the party. Well, he has other concerns as well. He has other concerns as well, in fairness to him. Uh, it's not just abortion. He's concerns about the poppy. He's concerns about Drew Harris uh, and Sinn Féin uh, going to ground on an issue which he says should have been made more public and questions asked publicly uh, about that man's role or inaction in terms of investigating some of uh, the atrocities that happened on this island. He has concerns about socialist policies and how Sinn Féin is moving to the centre uh, and is more concerned about being in office and having seats than they are about policies or Republican values. He's concerned about being a Republican and he wants to start a new Republican party, a proper Republican party. And I wonder, David Cullinan, as a Republican yourself, would you be interested in joining his Republican party rather than saying in the one that you're in now, which he describes as Republican light? Well, I think you know the answer to that question, Michael, that my future is in in Sinn Féin. You like Republican light, do you? Sinn Féin is a Republican party and Sinn Féin is not Republican light no matter what anybody says. Even even with their poppies those, on. In, in relation to all of those issues that you raised, if you want to have a debate about the poppy, I have no difficulty in doing that because I operate on the basis of respect and I operate on the basis that if somebody wants to wear a poppy to remember Irish men who fought in World War One, World War Two, that's a matter for them. I personally would not wear one. I have no difficulty in remembering sacrifices that were made by Irish men who mm. fought in World War One, but it was an imperialist war and for that reason, I would not glorify or commemorate those who fought, but I will remember the sacrifices that were made. And you don't have questions about somebody who I'm would reject independent investigations into the activities of the Glen Ann gang? You're, you're shifting the issue again. I'm not going to condemn people in any part of the island of Ireland or elsewhere for wearing a poppy because I believe in tolerance and I believe in respect. So that's that issue. In relation to the appointment of Drew Harris, that was not an issue for Sinn Féin. That was an issue for the Irish government. Uh, and again, I don't see how Padder can conflate those issues, but all of this mm. is, is nonsense. And I haven't heard Padder make those comments. In fact, I had a conversation with Padder a couple of days ago mm. when he acknowledged that for those of us who want to see a United Ireland, and I see myself as somebody who mm. is in direct conflict. Well, i tell you what he said, because he, he, he was on the radio here a half an hour ago saying that when a party doesn't have questions to ask about somebody who's rejected independent investigations into the likes of the Glen Ann gang or if there was partisan policing involved in the arrest of Jerry Adams, uh, well then that's Republican light. No, and I don't believe that the vast majority of people listening to your programme would accept that. We did articulate concerns in relation to the appointment that you spoke about, but it is not a matter for Sinn Féin that we did not make the appointment. Uh, and Pato Tobin knows that, and the reality is that if Padder is introducing these type of issues, I think it's disingenuous. Obviously, if Padder has now left and is setting up a political party, then he is 
putting himself in, in a position where he is contesting with Sinn Féin. Mm. And, and, and he, he's out. saying that his party will hold Republican values, socialist values, uh, and won't do what Sinn Féin looks intent on doing, which is to go into government with anybody as long as they can get into government. Well, listen, that's not the case, Michael. And I have no problem in coming back onto your programme and dealing with all of those individual issues in their own right. There's too many to respond to uh, in terms of all of the issues that have been thrown at me. But what I will say is this, that I'm proud to be a member of Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin is the only party which is is putting it up to Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael. Sinn Féin is the only All-Ireland party. I have no problem with Padder or anybody else putting themselves before the electorate. But Sinn Féin has hundreds of councillors, dozens of MLAs, MPs, MEPs and TDs. And if you want to achieve a united Ireland, in my view, the only vehicle... And the only party which will not just bring about a united Ireland, but the type of Ireland of equals that Padder has was talking about this morning, the only vehicle and the only party which will achieve that is Sinn Féin. Okay. It won't be a small political party which has no base and at this point no support. Okay, well listen, thanks for addressing some of uh, the issues that we were talking about earlier on and for joining us as always David Cullinan is uh, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on foreign affairs and trade with special responsibility for Brexit. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Friday for our weekly visit uh, to uh, the Oroctus Report. This is the review of contributions made in Leinster House over the course of the week by TDs and Senators from Counties Louth and Meath. The report is brought to you by the Houses of the Oroctus. Here's our parliamentary correspondent, Ken Murray. Hello again and welcome to this week's edition of the Loud Me, the Rockless Report. We begin our roundup this week with a contribution made in the Dáil on Wednesday. Independent TD from Meath West, Pather Tobin, criticised recent comments made about Navan Hospital by the former HSE CEO, Tony O'Brien. He asked on Taoiseach Leo Varadkar if extra funding can be made to upgrade Navan Hospital. Ten days ago, the former CEO of the HSE, Tony O'Brien, made a serious attack on Navin Hospital. He stated that the A&E in Navin was a target for the HSE for closure. And he also undermined the morale of the staff and the confidence of the general public by attacking the quality of the service there. It was shocking given that Tony O'Brien was and the HSE is responsible for the quality of service there. Taoiseach, you opened the A&E in Navin just a couple of years ago. Do you have full confidence in the service? Will you make sure there is proper funding to make sure that there is quality service provided there? And will you guarantee that there will be no closure of the 24-7 A&E in Navin Hospital? I worked in Navin Hospital long, long ago as a a senior house officer um, in medicine and as you pointed out as health minister I opened the new emergency department in Navin. My experience at the hospital having worked there uh, is that it provided a very good level of service to patients who had medical conditions, older people with pneumonias, older people with UTIs, uh, the kind of people who might sadly end up uh, on a trolley in a big hospital. But we do need to make sure that specialist services uh, happen in, in the right place and changes may well happen over time. Issues relating to ongoing gangland crime in Drogheda were raised in the Dáil on Wednesday. TDs Fergus O'Dowd of Fine Gael, Declan Brannock of Fianna Fáil and Gerry Adams of Sinn Féin sought answers on the problem from Justice Minister Charlie Flanagan. 
The fact that ordinary citizens could be killed, could be bombed, could be shot, could be attacked at any time is absolutely and entirely unacceptable. I very much welcome the response of the Gardaí. They're on the streets. The fact that Lord Garda leave is cancelled in County Loud. Regrettably, the armed reserve police are, are on the streets to protect and act in the civil power. What we need here is an, an immediate tackling by the Gardaí of these people. But there is a deficit in Drogheda. There is a deficit in the number of police that are there. Drogheda is the same size as the town of Dundalk. Drogheda has 107 policemen, whereas Dundalk, the same size, has 159. The number of policemen is a matter not for the Minister, and I accept it, but for the Garda Commissioner. It is not acceptable that this deficit in Drogheda policing is there, and it must be met, and met urgently. Thank you, Laskell Corla. The decent people of Drawd in recent days have had their town described as a gangland-gripped town, and that is self-evidence in the seriousness and the need to cancel Garda leave. The thuggery and crime in Drogheda and its escalation to what it is today was foreseen and flagged by me to Garda Shikana and acknowledged as far back as last June. That concern was based on meeting individual people caught up in incredible fear and intimidation who have been sucked in some relatively innocently, to the crossfire of these vicious criminals. Many of these young people have never come to the attention of a Gardaí Shekhana, and many more continue to be sucked into the criminal underworld. Some subsequently have had to seek anonymity and emigrate, while the families continue to be intimidated by these gangs seeking retribution for the deaths they have cleverly and deliberately made sure that accrued to secure false loyalty of these young people and the expansion of their, of their criminal activity. Deputy Jerry Adams. Those who are victims of these attacks, in many cases, uh, are victims of unscrupulous and dangerous drug pushers who are targeting them for drug debts that are not theirs. In one particular case, one family uh, had €11,000 demanded from it. I wrote to the Minister about that. I also spoke to Senior Gardaí about that. And in his response, the Minister said that Angarda Shikana was reviewing its drugs-related intimidation reporting programme. According to a PQ response that I received, there are currently five community Gardaí in Drahada and six in Dundalk. And I want to ask the Minister, will he support the resourcing of a specialist drugs unit for Louth, which was previously promised by him. Minister. This type of criminal behaviour will not be tolerated. It's important to note that it's the Garda Commissioner who is responsible for the distribution of resources, including personnel among the various Garda divisions. I, as Minister, have no direct role in the matter. However, I am advised that Garda management keeps the distribution of resources in Louth under continuous review in the context of crime trends and policing priorities, so as to ensure that the optimum use is made of these resources in the town of Drogheda, indeed in all parts of Louth and beyond. In relation to the specific incidents referred to by the deputies, I am advised that Angarda Shiakana are conducting a full and detailed investigation into each case. As such, it would be inappropriate for me to comment while these investigations are ongoing. However, these investigations are very much ongoing. I have been informed by Angarda Shiakana that the Garda have put in place a policing operation to prevent and detect and mitigate against any further escalation of violence in Drogheda. The Social Welfare Bill 2018 was discussed in the Dáil during the week. 
Speaking in the House on Wednesday, Social Protection Minister and Fine Gael TD for Me the East, Regina Doherty, said pensioners will be contacted shortly to be informed of changes in pension provision. The most significant of the concerns changes, which will have a positive effect for many of those who were awarded less than the maximum rate of state pension contributory following the changes to the rate bans that were introduced by this Parliament in 2012. It's a project that we call T12 and a great deal of work has been undertaken over the past months and my department has begun to issue the letters to the 70,000 Irish resident contributory pensioners with a further 8,000 letters to non-resident pensioners planned to be issued in December. This letter will explain the review process and inform our pensioners that the department will contact them directly with the outcome of their individual pension review. The House will also recall that the Social Welfare Pensions and Civil Registration Bill 2017 that was published in May 2017 and contained key measures relating to the defined benefit pension schemes. These measures will act to support existing provisions in the Pensions Act and will provide for further protection for scheme members' benefits and enhance employer responsibilities towards their schemes. Louth County Council was accused during the week of trying to raid land in County Meath in order to boost its own revenues. The comments were made on Wednesday night by Fianna Fáil TD for Meath West, Shane Castles, during a debate on the local government bill. My own county of Meath was subjected to a review on a very concerted campaign by Louth County Council and its elected members and executive to seize part of Meath and take it for the town of Drogheda. And this land grab was fought back with even more passion by Meath County Council and our own citizens who sought to stay within the Royal County. But leaving aside, Cahirlock, the issues on this land grab that have to do uh, with the heart uh, and the desire for your children to play for a good footballing county, uh, what was really at play here uh, was the key issue of resources. And officials from Louth County Council, uh, Cahirlock, gazed across the border into County Meath and saw thousands of homes with the potential for local property tax income. And coupled with that, large businesses located across the border and the potential for their rates income. And that income was a highly motivating factor. A call was made on Wednesday for clarity as to why a large area of land in County Louth has not been developed for housing. Sinn Féin TD Imelda Munster questioned Minister of State and Fine Gael TD for Meath West, Damien English, on the matter. Minister, I'm sure you're aware that Loud County Council had an overspend of several million this year, which resulted in the fact that they can't actually supply housing adaptation grants. They can't carry out repairs. There's people, as we speak, in Drogheda and Dock and throughout County Loud, who've, their heating is broken, but they can't send out people because that's the financial dire straits that they're in. Now, are you telling me that Loud County Council, the CEO of Loud County Council and the Director of Services for Housing, has point-blank point-blank refused to roll out or to send, get on to the department about funding the rollout. I wanted to make that clear, that they have point-blank said, Minister, we don't, want, we don't want housing on this land. We've sat with Loud County Council. They have a pipeline of projects to deliver over 740 houses uh, over the next year or two. We've been very clear we would like more pipeline, more projects. And there are schemes there to do that. We're very happy to engage with them and we're funding that. We are very clear. As a government, our job is to make sure there's social housing delivered, affordable housing delivered, and also to increase the number of private housing, which thankfully is happening as well. And local authorities are involved in that. Whether there's land banks that can deliver all three of those and help recoup some of the costs that they spent in the money, that's what they should be used for as well, where it's suitable. 
And that response from Minister of State and Fine Gael TD for Meath West, Damien English, to a question from Sinn Féin TD, Amelda Munster, concludes our Loud Me the Oireachtas summary for this week. So until next time, this is Ken Murray for the House of the Oireachtas Weekly Report. Thanks, Ken. And Ken Murray will have a, another Loud Me the Oireachtas Report for us in around the same uh, time on next Friday's programme. The reports are brought to you by the Houses of the Oireachtas. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the Public Accounts Committee has been hearing about some of uh, the problems uh, that illegal cigarettes are causing in uh, this country. The Controller and Auditor General, Seamus McCarthy, told uh, the PAC Committee yesterday that uh, cigarette smuggling is a significant risk to tax receipts and that a national action plan was being put in place by the Revenue Commissioners and that that would feature increased international cooperation. We're joined by Benny Gilson, spokesperson for Retailers Against Smuggling. Obviously, Benny, this causes a, a lot of problems for the taxman because of the revenue that is foregone, uh, but also a, a lot of problems for you and your members. That's quite correct, Michael. Uh, and indeed, I have to say we are delighted to hear this come through the Public Accounts Committee and coming from the Controller and Auditor General because for a long, long time now we have been shouting about this. Now, unfortunately, they have come out and said 13%, but they haven't taken into consideration that 9% at top of that is uh, for roll your own. That's okay, the so, next to 9%. So 13% of the cigarettes are yeah. illegal, smuggled in or contraband or whatever, and 9% of the roll your own. For the 9%. So right. you're talking okay. about overall a 22% uh, volume of illegal cigarettes coming into this country and being sold illegally, uh, you know, fueling nothing but criminality. Now, we did have a bill passed in the doll, fortunately, there three weeks ago. But yeah. unfortunately, it was voted down by the government. You know, they, the government voted against it. Now, it did get through the first stage, and we're hoping that it will get through the rest. That's Declan Brannock's bill, uh, which correct. would lead to fines for people found to have illegal cigarettes of up to €1,000 and possibly imprisonment. That's quite correct. You know, and, and, you know, this is the only way we're going to stop uh, the level of illegal and smuggled cigarettes coming into this country. There's a lot of money involved, isn't there? Uh, I mean, when you talk about 13% of the overall market, uh, the Comptroller and Auditor General was saying that this costs the state €229 million. Euro. Uh, that's quite correct. Over the last seven years, Michael, uh, it has been estimated that it has cost the state in excess of $1.5 billion. That's a lot of money. That really is. Uh, and they've uh, managed to seize a, a lot, having said that. Uh, 20, 20 million last year. Uh, Niall Cody, the revenue chairman, uh, was also in front of the committee. He said 20 million worth of cigarettes last year and much more this year. Up to the end of October, 36.4 million euro. That's quite correct. And I, we know that this year we also had that significant find up in... Um, Jenkinstown, where we had a factory that was producing illegal cigarettes and, and included in that was 15 tonne of tobacco. Mm. You know, so that was significant. And that is what we need to see happen more and more. Now, we as retailers against smuggling and in retailers in general would uh, be 100% behind the revenue, the customs and the Gardaí and whatever help we can give them.
we're openly prepared to do so. Do you think there's much of that sort of thing going on? Because there was a time, and it's not so long ago, we would have been saying, well, how did they get them into the country? And then they started finding shiploads of them uh, and million and millions of euros worth of cigarettes uh, on board. Uh, and then uh, that changed uh, and they started discovering these factories, uh, as you call that uh, plant. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, do you think that there's many of them around the country? I, I still believe, Michael, that there are other factories of that nature operating within the country, whether it be within the, the, the north or the south. They're operating within the 32 counties of Ireland. Mm. I'm a firm believer that there is. Uh, I, I, suppose, I suppose it's like crack cocaine or diesel or uh, putching or whatever. If there's money in it, people will be there to do it. Uh, that's that's quite correct. And under such time as the fines are heavier for this, uh, it will not stop. You know, the, mm. it has to come down along the line. You know, the, like it's rarely we're ever going to get the big fish. So, mm. like if you if you can hit the person, the purchaser, for purchasing illegal goods, the very same as the the, the purchaser is the bigger criminal when it comes down to buying stolen goods. Mm. So, like there's very little difference between the two. Like illegal cigarettes is yeah. smuggling, it's 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 defying the country of its revenue. Well, people will tell you they can't afford the cigarettes in the shops, and that's why they buy it, and they're addicts, and all of that sort of thing. Uh, but would you be suggesting to them, apart from, you know, the chance of being caught and fined, that if they buy illegal cigarettes, uh, they're actually buying guns for these big criminals who are running these operations. That's quite correct, Michael. That's exactly what they're doing. They're supporting. Uh, the big time criminals. They're not. They're, they're not supporting the unfortunate that's selling them, trying to make a few bob on the side of the street, or knocking mm. on the door for that. They're supporting big time criminality right across the globe. Okay, as you say, hopefully this action plan will be realised. Uh, the controller and auditor general telling the PAC committee about that yesterday. We have to leave it there for the moment, though, Benny. And thank you indeed for joining us this morning, Benny Gilson, and spokesperson for Retailers Against Smuggling, brings our program to its conclusion this week. Hope you have a lovely weekend. God willing, we'll see you for our next program on Monday morning at nine a.m. Right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from nine on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.